Cool him and may you be blessed as you find humility as well. God's word that we're going to consider this morning is James chapter 4. If you've got one of these white and blue Bibles in front of you, you are welcome to open that and follow along with me. James chapter 4, you can find it on page 979 and following there. And we'll be hearing that word together. Now, like I said, I was just telling the kids, I think it was about... 10, 11, right? I was riding home with my, my parents in the van one Christmas Eve, and we were heading back home after being at my grandparents' house, and, uh, and we started quarreling, we started squabbling in the car, and, and my, it, it, I don't know how many times my parents told me to stop, you know, I don't remember that anymore. Um, my sister remembers my dad throwing his gloves at me, I'm not sure what that was all about, you know, and then, and then came the moment, right, where he pulled the car over, and he said, I'm gonna leave you here on the side of the road, and now, my dad was not unreasonable. Uh, you know, he, was, he was generous most of the time in allowing us to have our conflicts and our squabbles and work them out. And you know, kids got to learn how to have manage their conflicts right, uh, as we go through that. But you know, that, that image, right, that moment did a lot for me. That, that made a, a big difference. Uh, to have a dad who was that just to judge, there were moments, right? There were plenty of moments where we just shut up because we had a judge. There were moments where we were quiet out of, of respect. There were moments where we were filled with love for each other because we had a judge who was watching us. And that's what God wants for you and I today. You know, to discover even amongst us what it could do for us to have a just judge. Right? A lot of us have problems getting along in our families. What could it do for you if you had a judge? A lot of us have problems getting along in our workplace. What could it do for you if you had a really just judge? What could it do if you and your neighbors, you had a just judge? What could it do for you? And that's what God wants you and I to, to get today. Now James starts out and he, he reminds us, he tells us here, that our first principle, our basic principle of relationships and relational management today might need a little bit of work. James tells us there's quarreling, there's fighting, there's conflict, there's always been these things. And if your principle, as, as many Americans is, is simply be kind, that's not going to cut it. Most of the Americans do have a good principle of be kind. I was just talking with an acquaintance the other day, and we were, we were talking about mandates and vaccines and uh, masks and all of these things. And somebody, and, and she said, you know, I just wish, wish people would be, be kind to one another. And I, I'm all for being kind, right? I'm all for, for, for kindness. I think that's good. And yet James says to us, that's not going to, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to make it happen. James points out in this lesson, look at all of the issues that, that could, can still come up. Verse 1, don't all of these things, these quarrels and these fights among you, they come from your desires that battle within you. That's where all of these fights come from. And he goes on and he says, you desire, you covet, you ask with wrong motives. So it's not all of the things out there. Right? This is revolutionary. This is a, a great insight. You know, we, we quarrel about mandates, we quarrel about masks, right? We quarrel about vaccines, we quarrel about all the stuff out there. And, and James says, the quarrel is not really from the outside. The battle of words become, begins with the battle within. It begins with the battle within each one of us. And this is really, James is really very revolutionary here. 
And you think James comes out of a, an incredibly traditional culture. You, know, you think we value families. They, James really valued families. And, and James, James doesn't say, well, it's your family breakdown that causes all of your problems. You know, you need to build stronger families. Right? Uh, James, he comes out of a, a world where there was a lot of religious practice. And you think, James, he doesn't say, well, you know, it's your religious breakdown. If you guys were just a little bit, you know, actually more religious, if you adhered to your religion, then that would fix all of your problems. You know, James came out of a world that had a huge economic disparity. And James doesn't say to them, well, you know, you rich people, you just need to be a little bit more generous, and then that would solve your problems. James doesn't even say, be kind. Just be kind, and then that'll fix things. He says, look, the battle of words begins with the battle within. You know, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I think this is, this is pretty cutting. This really catches me. Uh, and I know that this catches a lot of other people. Uh, I've told you this story before about Langdon Gilkey and the Shantung compound, these, these couple thousand people who were trapped during World War II, but they were foreigners, they were expats, in a compound about the size of the field out there. And Langdon, like a lot of the other people there, was a nominal Christian. You know, he was one of these people who rarely went to church, rarely uh, forgave other people their sins, rarely professed his own sins, you know, just didn't take God real seriously. Uh, and, and so he thought, well, people can just generally be good, you know, the basic moral law, be good to others as you would have them be good to you, and, and that'll work out things all right. And he was absolutely floored one time when they were trying to negotiate, they had one room full of nine people and one room full of 11 people, and, and he said to them, why don't we balance the two rooms out? You know, we got two tiny little rooms here. Let's put 10 people in both rooms, identical sizes. Let's just put 10 people. And he was floored by the amount of squabbling and arguing that broke out between a, a, a bunch of adults uh, over whether or not they could put 10 people in a room. And he said, you know, the, the people with the nine, they were so selfish. They said, we weren't, why should we give up any space? Why should we work together at all? He was floored, right, to realize that the battle of these words, the battle within a group, begins as the battle within. And if, if you're like me, you've been shocked to realize that, that be kind, you know, doesn't work in life and maybe a little bit hurt by it. I, I mean, I was always encouraged and taught to be kind to people, and, and I thought, okay, if I'm kind to others, they'll be kind to me, and we'll, we'll genuinely have a good relationship, and people will give me the benefit of the doubt, and, and they'll want to work problems out. And I was floored to see, you know, how many people would take one little thing, a little slight, and, and, and be really upset. And then they would walk away, and they wouldn't want to have a relationship anymore. You know, I bet you've experienced that as well. You know what that is? It's really just saying to us, be kind doesn't work. As a first principle for our relationships. You can't manage your relationships just with be kind. Not that being kind is bad. We should definitely be kind, but it, that can't be the first and the only thing. And God says, look, there's this, this better way. Verse 7, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves then to God, and he goes on and he says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom and humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And you might read that and say, 
wow, first of all, that's really kind of depressing. <laughs> Secondly, what does that have to do with getting along with other people? Right? How, how will submitting myself to God help me quarrel less with my brothers and sisters? How would submitting myself to God help me get along better with my coworkers because we're just radically different? How would submitting myself to God help me get along better with, with people at, at church or in my church groups that I want to work with? And, and you know, you're right to some extent, but let me give us this maybe illustration to see if we can help. So my wife and I, one of the things that you know, we've gotten stuck on in our relationships, and I bet a lot of you has, have as well, is the idea of how do we figure out who's right and who's wrong in an argument. Right? We'll, we'll be in the middle of an argument and we're, we're, we're going at something, whatever it is, and, and, and it'll be, you know, she's making a point to me maybe, and she's saying this is the way it should be, this is the way it should be, and I'm not going to go through, you know, any specific examples. We'll just keep those to myself for now. But, and then I'll say, well, wait a second. Who's to say, you know, you get to be, why do you get to be right? Because you did this thing that started the whole mess, and so why don't you, why don't I get to be right? Why don't you get to be right, you know? Or, or it'll be in the reverse. It'll be in the reverse, right? I'm making a point to her about this is why I'm right and this is what we should do with things. And she'll say to me, well, wait, wait a second. You know, why do you get to be right? And, and both of us have, have agreed, you know, we, we won't pull the card. I don't walk around and say, well, you know, I'm the dad and I'm the father and that's why I get to be right, right? And, and she doesn't pull the card and says, well, you know, I'm your wife and you should just do what I say. We don't, we don't do that to each other. So then how do we figure it out? And maybe you've gotten stuck at, at the same place too. I mean, this is why... If you're a good Midwestern person, what's the one piece of advice men give other men at weddings? Yes, dear. The most, two most important, right? In, in the Midwest, isn't that the one good piece of advice we give each other? What's the two most important words in your marriage? Yes, dear. And yet, and yet, what is, what Jesus, right, what we realize is, is there's no way to solve differences on our own. Right? This is why we're so stuck. Because we really are equal. We are equal as people and equal of worth. And this is why it's so hard to solve differences. Until you see Jesus. Until you see Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, when you see Jesus, you see a man who was in every way equal with his father. Right? Every way equal with his father. James says at the end here, he says, there is only one lawgiver and judge. And you know who that is? That is the man, Jesus. Jesus says, all the judgment was entrusted to me. And yet he is the very same guy who could say to his father, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now how hard do you think that was? For a guy who could walk on water, a guy who could feed 5,000, a guy who could raise the dead to say, it's not my way. I mean, you can't even... But tie your own shoes someday. You and I, we struggle to feed ourselves. And yet we walk around saying, yeah, it should be my way. I'm right. And Jesus could walk on water and he could still say, not my will, but yours be done. How awesome is that? How awesome is that that he could get on that cross and he could say, Father, into your hands I put my spirit. Could you imagine that? Look at that submission. Look at that humility. 
when you start to see just how far Jesus was willing to go so that he could claim you as your own, how much he was willing to say, it's not my way, but it's the Father's. I am the God of gods, the King of heaven and earth. I can reign over all things. I get to be the judge at the end of all time. I'm going to sit here and tell every single one of you whether you get to go to heaven or hell. And yet on that cross, he was willing to say, it's not my way. You can kill me. When you see that, how can you not start to say, not my will. Not my will. I want nothing more than to work with you because it's not my will. You know, and I, I think this looks out so amazing in, in our lives. I told you that I was reading the, the story of Louis Zamperini a few weeks ago, right? And that story is called Unbroken. And uh, Louis Zamperini is just this amazing guy because he survived the Japanese internment camps and, and he was put under uh, this man that he called the bird. I told you the, the story of the bird. The bird was the, the chief of the Japanese internment camps. And the Japanese during World War II very much believed that they were a superior race, similar to like the, the Germans and the Europeans, you know, and so they, they feared what would happen if they did not break all of the Westerners and really convince them that they were superior. And they thought it, they, they really needed to break the will of all of the Westerners. And Louis was unique amongst most of the of the foreigners, almost all the foreigners in the camps, because he didn't break. And that's why the book is called Unbroken. It, throughout the, the story, his will never broke. He, he kept wanting to live, and that was part of the reason why he was ready when it came time to get home. And, and yet, you, you and I mentioned a few weeks ago, too, all about all of the conflict then that Louis had with his family and his friends. He drank and he drank because he couldn't get that that man out of his mind, the bird who, who tried to break his will. Uh, and, and he and his wife almost got a divorce. I mean, his wife came home one day and said, I'm done with you. I don't want to. Talk about fighting and quarreling, right? Uh, until Louis went to hear a, a preacher. He heard Billy Graham one day. And Billy told him, you know, you're a sinner. You've done terrible things. And at first, again, Louis's will rose up and he said, no, I'm not. I'm a pretty good guy. Then he said, no, I am. No, I am a sinner, actually. And he received Jesus as his Savior. He professed faith in Jesus as his Savior. He admitted his own sin, and he trusted in the one who submitted for him. And Louis then discovered a whole new life. No, don't let anybody subjugate you, but if you see what Jesus did for you, how can you not submit for him? Don't let people subjugate you. God of heaven and earth gave up his life so that he could call you his own and that he could put his mark on you in baptism. He would not put you down anyway. He'll never press you down. And yet, how can you not look at everything that he did for you and, and not submit for him? Friends, this is what it looks like to have a truly just judge. Get a just judge, and you will get a great group of people. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus did not force us into submission. He did not try to subjugate us. He did not beat us down. And yet, he submitted himself that we might always submit ourselves not only to him, but to one another. 
in true love and humble obedience. We pray that this same spirit of submission might be in us. And so we would discover your beauty, your truth, your goodness, in Jesus' name. Amen.